before we get uh, started in our study uh, for this morning, as we begin this study, let's have a word of prayer together. I invite you to bow your heads and hearts with me, and uh, let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day, beautiful day that you have provided for your saints. And uh, we pray earnestly, Lord, from our hearts, deep within our hearts, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out uh, upon us on this most holy day, that we may um, have joy and peace. We also pray for understanding and discernment uh, to recognize the battle that we, we really have uh, this battle for our minds and our very lives. And and so, Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to, to come into our hearts and, and help fortify us against this incredible, powerful enemy that we have. And we pray for holy angels that excel in strength to come and surround us, especially on this holy day, so that we may truly have a day of rest in this warfare. I pray... Lord, for those who couldn't be with us today, those who are on um, beds of illness, I think of my my uh, cousin Steve, I pray that you be very near to him and draw him to thee, for we know that you don't wish anyone uh, to be lost, and uh, you hate death, and praise, praise God that Jesus overcame death and the grave, and we have this hope in him. I pray for... Um, Wayne and and for uh, Sister Betty and and the, all these people that we have on our prayer list there are so many and, and I pray for your church especially that we as a people will press together more and more and pray for each other uh, that we can be uh, that people that you wish us to be united and ready for Jesus' return and Lord I humbly myself ask for the Holy Spirit to be given to me as I present these things um, this is a, a very, very important topic, especially in the time that we live in. And we're going to see more and more of these things manifested. And we're going to have uh, more, uh, um, more opportunities, I guess. I don't know if it would be an opportunity, but, but we're going to run into things where it's going to be like hand-to-hand combat at times. And uh, we, need, uh, we need your help. And we need understanding as to who our enemy is and the best way to defeat him. And so please give me the words to speak today. And may hearts be ready for the truth, and, uh, and to have assurance, give them assurance, that Jesus uh, can indeed save. Now we thank you so much for Jesus and for the forgiveness of sins, and we pray for that cleansing now. And may we be found worthy, Lord. Not because we really are worthy, but Jesus is, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, friends, this is part one of uh, a study that I've been... Actually, I've been studying this for over two months. Uh, pretty in-depth in study. I'm still studying. It's quite remarkable. But I call it spiritual possession. It began, I, I first entitled this um, Possessed by Demons, but as I got to studying more and more and more, uh, it has evolved, and, and uh, uh, I changed it to Spiritual Possession, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, but this is part one, and 
um, of a three-part, right now, it's a three-part study. And so I encourage you to, to hang in there. Uh, and uh, if I can't prove these things from the Bible, um, then just throw them away. But test these things out. Study the Bible yourself and make sure that these things are true. Um, when you were young, did you ever have a fear of the dark or something that could be you know, crawling around under your bed or, or maybe creeping in the closet? You know, many of us here, uh, I'm sure, have heard of the boogeyman. Have you ever heard of that that name, the boogeyman? You know, when I was young and impressionable, I watched a movie, and maybe some of you older people will remember this, uh, a movie about uh, the Gill Man. Do you? Do any of you rem- remember that, uh, like, horror movie? It was called The Gill Man. He was a kind of... Uh, humanoid fish, you know, kind of creature, and boy, I tell you, it scared me. And I thought he must—he must be the boogeyman that I heard so much about, you know. And I remember that I couldn't go to sleep at night without worrying about these boogeyman creatures. That once the light went off, I'd imagine—I mean, they were either under my bed or they're in the closet. Every noise I heard, you know, it, it just frightened me, and I'd cover my head up with the covers and such, and. And uh, I think everyone has heard of the boogeyman, but if you haven't, the boogeyman is a common allusion to a a, a mythical creature used by adults and, and maybe older children to frighten kids into modifying their behavior. And, and this monster, uh, this boogeyman monster, you know, he has no specific appearance really. And conceptions about him can vary drastically, even you know, from house to house, really, uh, within the same community. And in many cases, he really has no set appearance in the mind of these people, but is simply a nonspecific embodiment of terror. And you find this boogeyman persona, which is really rather remarkable, um, in virtually every culture around the world, though he may go by different names. So, it seems like anywhere you go in the world, in just about anybody's life, at some point there are these minions of darkness that scare us. Now, with that kind of commonality, you know, being around the world, there has to be some sort of truth associated with it, right? I mean, how could it be that way? You you see this around the world, this boogeyman persona, um, there has to be a commonality about it, and there is. Now, the Bible doesn't call him the boogeyman. It has another name. And biblically speaking, they're known as demons and devils or evil spirits. And you'd be surprised, really, how much the Word of God has to say about demons, devils, and evil spirits, and, more importantly, how to defeat these creatures. And defeating them, friends, is what is really important for us. Uh, We really need to know this, and we need to understand, especially as we're living in the last days, when such manifestations are going to increase, and we will be confronted. Take it to the bank, friends. We're going to be confronted more and more by these demons, these powers. And in this series of studies concerning spiritual possession... 
uh, we're, we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at the powers involved in spiritual possession. We're going to look at uh, uh, terms. We're going to define some terms. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to look at examples of possession. And when we look at ex- these examples of possession, we're going to see, you know, that uh, uh, really, and maybe you've never thought of this before, but you can you can be possessed by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to see and look at some examples of how one grieves the Holy Spirit, you know, and lays the groundwork for demon possession. And then we're going to look at how, uh, we're going to end up looking at how to cast out demons. We're going to look at examples and and how to actually do that. Um, And uh, um, because we will, some of us, maybe not all of us, will, you know, that's one of the commissions we'll see here. Uh, we'll find out uh, how to do that, and we we need to know these things. Now, I want to talk about the powers involved. We talk about spiritual spiritual possession. Uh, the Apostle John, uh, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, he saw things which should come upon the earth in the last days, and that's what we're concerned about, uh, isn't it? We're concerned about what is going to happen in the last days because that's the time we're living in. Isn't that true? And so, John was shown these things and and he was talking about the image of the beast in Revelation 13. And in verse 13, he says this. He says, He doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He doeth great wonders, John says. And if you skip ahead three chapters uh, to Revelation 16, verse 14, he says, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So we're coming into the final battle, friends, in the last days here. And so John sees this power. He sees sees, uh, this image and he's doing great wonders, bringing fire down from heaven, trying to confuse people because God had done that for a test, remember. And he says who they are. He says they are the spirits of devils that are doing these miracles. And it's preparing people for the final battle. That's one of these power and one of these powers. And about the same time that that is spoken of here, we can see a different power. Okay, not not the the spirits of devils, we see a different power. One that comes from heaven, for sure, not that fire that the, these devils are bringing down. But if you go to Revelation 18, Revelation 18, beginning with verse 1. It says, and after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was was what? Lightened with his glory. So that's incredible power, isn't it? He comes down, he has great power, and that power it lightens the whole world, the whole earth with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. It's become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. 
And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So you see, sin and the plagues go together, don't they? For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. And so, we start out looking at John sees this dark power, these devils, you know, and their plan, their plan is to deceive. They're going to work miracles. It contrasted then with this power from heaven. And this angel, this angel comes forth from the throne room of the universe, friends. And uh, it is commissioned uh, to proclaim God's last message of mercy and to warn the inhabitants of the earth of this imminent fate that is awaiting Babylon the Great. And, you know, despite satanic efforts to, to shroud the earth in the powers of darkness, you see that God now sets it ablaze with this glorious power of saving truth. You know, the, the glory may be thought of as representing the character of God. But here, you know, it's, it's, it's revealed in the plan of salvation. So the powers involved are powers beyond you see, friends, what humans can relate to as they are supernatural powers. And the line is drawn. The line is drawn for the final battle between good and evil. The, the powers of evil against the powers of righteousness. And the players involved are fighting for possession of man. And thus, the earth. And who are these powers? Again, as John said, they are, one, the spirits of devils, on one hand, and an angel come down from heaven having great power, on the other hand. So essentially, the two sides in this cosmic conflict of the ages, the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Antichrist. And make no mistake, you know, friends, each, each one of us, each one who is converted, each one who keeps the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, is under attack by these powers of darkness. And these attacks will increase before the end comes. Now, so I say, well, that's pretty, you know, sensational, Pastor Joel. That's, I mean, how do you know that? Why will there be an increase in such activity by these powers of darkness? Well, friends, because, <clears throat> because the devil knows, according to Revelation 12, he knows he has a short time remaining to live. And when you have an animal, which essentially he's become a beast, an evil beast, and you get that animal in a corner and you trap him, they become pretty ferocious. And it's, it's a fight or flight. And flight ain't going to happen. <laughs> he, he's going to fight. And so this is why when you see these two powers that are involved... This is why I changed the, the title of this study. I've entitled it Spiritual Possession. Because spirit possession um, can come from one of these two powers, either one side or the other to a certain degree, and we'll see that as we, we move along. Now, spiritual possession actually does have a, a definition. Spiritual possession is a term for the belief that animus... Hang on just a minute. <coughs> I don't know why I've got a 
a tickle in my throat. <clears throat> Spirit possession is a term for the belief that animus, and, and animus is, it means non-human entities like animals or plants or inanimate objects that possess a spiritual essence. Okay, so uh, it's a term, spiritual possession is a term for the belief that animus or, or demons or extraterrestrials or, you know, gods or spirits can take control of the human body. Essentially what it means. The, the concept of spirit possession exists in many religions, you know, including Christianity, of course. But Buddhism, Haitian voodoo, Wicca, Hinduism, Islam even, um, the religions from Asia, Africa, you know, uh, depending on the cultural context in which it's found, possession may be considered voluntary or, or uh, involuntary and may be considered to have beneficial or detrimental effects, see, to, to the host. And, and as we have previously studied, and we talked about angels and, and these powers before, each of us has been in contact in some way with these spirits. We may not, we may just may not recognize it, but I guarantee you that we have. And it behooves us to know the differences between them. If we are to be possessed by one or the other, we want to be possessed by the Spirit of God, right? So, how do you know which side is which? How do you know? And and that is, friends, um, that is the the question for us, isn't it? There's reason to believe that demon possession in the restricted sense of the Gospel writers, was far more common during the time of Christ's personal ministry on earth than it is today, though that is going to change. Perhaps, you know, if you think about it, for a time God permitted Satan a greater freedom to demonstrate the results of his personal control of human beings who uh, voluntarily choose to serve him. And there are people today that voluntarily choose to serve him. And you see accounts of that in the Gospels. They wanted that power, these human beings, see. And you see, though, a, a great contrast. I'll give you an example. You see a great contrast between the two sides of possession. Those possessed by the Spirit of God and those possessed by the Spirit of Satan in the account of the Transfiguration. You remember, Jesus goes up on the mountain. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples, they beheld humanity transfigured into the image of God. And then when they came down at the foot of the mountain, humanity, they saw humanity debased into the likeness of Satan. With that, that uh, uh, um, person that was possessed, remember when they come down from the mountain there. Let me share this with you, speaking of this, it's from the book Desire of Ages, page 429. <coughs> says, in a brief space of time, the favored disciples have beheld the extreme of glory and of humiliation. They have seen humanity as transfigured into the image of God and as debased into the likeness of Satan. From the mountain where he has talked with the heavenly messengers and has been proclaimed the Son of God by the voice from the radiant glory, they have seen Jesus descend to meet that most distressing and revolting spectacle, the maniac boy. 
with distorted countenance, gnashing his teeth in spasms of agony that no human power could relieve. And this mighty Redeemer, who but a few hours before stood glorified before his wandering disciples, stoops to lift the victim of Satan from the earth where he is wallowing, and in health of mind and body restores him to his father and his home. And beloved, in the in the contrast shown by this example, we see where each human being is headed. You're headed to one side or the other, friends. And if not for the love and mercy of God, we each would eventually become so demon-controlled as to be but brute beasts totally used for evil in all its facets. And that is the end result of a person who chooses to sin. So, you know, we all have been given the freedom to choose, and our choices are incredibly important. There is no choice that is of minor significance. This is something I want to stress, because later on we get done talking about this, we're going to get into defining what sin is exactly, what sin is, what temptation is, how to be an overcomer. Our choices have consequences, even what we may think is minor. To God, there isn't a minor choice. Back to Desire of Ages, listen to this. Says, This is on page 341. Satan's influence is constantly exerted upon men. There's no breaks. Isn't that something? Satan's influence is constantly exerted upon men to distract the senses, control the mind for evil, and incite to violence and crime. He weakens the body, darkens the intellect, and debases the soul. Whenever men reject the Savior's invitation, that's important. So some of these things, I hope, you know, take some notes, study this out, put some of these things in the back of your mind. Because it'll begin to make more and more sense when we talk, uh, you know, we get further along in here and we look at some of the examples. We'll see, well, how did that person get into a position to where a demon possessed them? He weakens the body. I don't want to get off into too many tangents here, because <laughs> I've got a lot to share, but how are things, you know, how, how are ways that we weaken our body? I'll just throw that question out there. Just contemplate that. He weakens the body, darkens the intellect, debases the soul. Whenever men reject the Savior's invitation, they are yielding themselves to Satan. Multitudes in every department in life, in the home, in business, and even in the church, are doing this today. That's what she says. And... and you know, for ages, the devil had been seeking unrestricted control of the bodies and the souls of men in order to afflict them with sin and suffering and, and finally to ruin them. That's what he wants to do. He wants to debase the image of God. So when our Lord appeared walking as a man among men, as it says in Desire of Ages, page 36, the bodies of human beings made for the dwelling place of God had become the habitation of demons. Notice this. She says, the senses... The nerves, the passions, the organs of men, that's your, in your body, isn't it? Were worked by supernatural agencies in the indulgence of the vilest lust 
the very stamp of demons was impressed upon the countenances of men. That's important. We get into some examples. You see this. The very stamp of demons was impressed upon the countenances of men. It's rather remarkable. The the very likeness of humanity seemed to have been obliterated from many human faces, which reflected instead the expression of those legions of evil with which they were possessed. See? We will all be faced with these manifestations of evil before the conflict is over, and so we really need to know how to handle such situations when they arise, and that's that's why I you know, was impressed to study this out and share it with you, friends. And let me tell you this. The best place, and you've heard me say this before, the best place we can be always is on the Lord's side. Isn't that right? If you remain on the Lord's side, you will not be deceived by these boogeymen. I'll tell you that. And there's no reason to fear them. They are a conquered foe. They are very powerful. We can't conquer them ourselves. But if you're on the Lord's side, you have nothing to fear. Let me share this little snippet with you from the book Confrontation, page 90. The godly need not be deceived if they are students of the scriptures and obedient to follow the plain path marked out for them in the word of God. And we don't want to be deceived, so we're going to be good students of the scriptures and of course be obedient to the path that marks out for us, right? That's the key, isn't it? You know, there are those who profess to be Christians and this is just remarkable to me. But there are those who profess to be Christians who say that there's no such thing as devils and evil spirits or demons. They don't believe in them anymore as being real. They believe it's just all the boogeyman. See? It's just used uh, to, to, to make someone compliant to their rules. They believe that the Bible, the Old Testament especially, they're just fables or allegories. And that's a real shame, isn't it? You've got to be careful if you say you're a Bible Christian and not believe in these powers of darkness because you know something? Jesus believed in them. Jesus dealt with them. And Jesus talks about them. And you, or I, you and I are given a work to do in relationship with these evil spirits. So if you're going to be a Bible Christian, again, I'll say bear with me and, and, and you see if I can't give you biblical evidence. Let me begin by saying where these powers come from. Where did devils and evil, unclean, familiar spirits come from? Well, we're told that these manifestations will increase closer to the time when Jesus returns. And... And I find it interesting that in the last few years, angels have sort of made a comeback. Have you noticed that? They're becoming more popular. You can hear about angels and read about angels, and everybody thinks that angels are great, and people have little crystals of angels, you know. Just do a Google search, punch in angels, and just look at the images. It's incredible. You know, little knick-knack things and stuff, you know. They've got little angel signs and angel wings, you know. There are TV shows and primetime television now that are about bad angels that I believe 
are meant to give them sympathy, make the, make them seem like they are really good angels, you know, they've gotten a bad rap. There's now a TV show called Lucifer that does this very thing. That's no accident, friends. Don't be deceived by it. In fact, you shouldn't even be watching such a program if you are. But angels are very popular today, and everyone gushes over them, but they forget that about a third of those angels are fallen and are evil. But they can appear to us as being good. That's what the Bible tells us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15, he says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. You know, this is how we got into this problem to begin with as human beings. Satan spoke through what? There in the Garden of Eden. The serpent, right? And he's a, he's a being that can transform himself into an angel of light. Which is very interesting when you, you kind of think about that for a while. Some of these beings, these angels... You could maybe call them light benders. They have a way of taking uh, the different kinds of lights and and using them in such a way to alter their appearance. Well, kind of like birds' feathers, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, like Deb said, kind of like certain birds, you know, birds' feathers, or you know, what is it? The polar bear. He looks white to us, but his, you know, his fur really isn't white. <laughs> You know, these angels have a way of doing that to deceive us. See, um, and here the devil he can transform into an angel of light. He can change his appearance. He can bend light, sort of somehow. See, and, and and so in fact he was a light bearer. You know, so here he is. He can transform himself into someone who appears to be righteous. So it shouldn't surprise us if his angels can be transformed into angels of light. You know, evil angels that can appear to be good angels, right? And by the way, God didn't make devils and demons and evil spirits. God made beautiful angels, and then those angels fell. They chose to sin and rebel. And you can read about that in Isaiah 14. Satan, who started out as a perfect angel, beautiful creature, he fell. And because he started a war there, he was cast out of heaven. Isaiah 14.12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? You know, Lucifer was a light bearer, like I said. He, he stood on the side of the throne next to the Godhead. He was the lead angel. He was over all the other angels. He led the angelic choir as well. You know, and he uses music today to deceive and draw into his power. And then we read in Revelation 12, we read about this war. Verse 7 says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels. So you have Christ, who has his angels, and then you have the dragon, or the devil, who has his angels, and we're told who it is. Verse 
And he prevailed not, neither was there place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. Who is he? That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's good news, right? God and his angels are stronger than the devil and his angels. The bad news is, they're not in heaven anymore. Where are they? If you look at verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Because he's been cast out of heaven, right? Then it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And, and I believe this is also why we see an increase in demonic activity in our time. Because those angels, those demons, those uh, um, impure spirits, and familiar spirits, their time to live is running out. Okay? Now, how many angels are there? Well, you know, we don't no, but we can get some kind of round figures when you think about it. We know there's at least one guardian angel for every human, and there's approximately, what, 7 billion people in the world today? And it's possible, actually, that every person has at least two angels. You know, some scriptures seem to indicate people not only have guardian angels, but they've got a recording angel as well. I, I think angels could probably do both at the same time, but but God may have plenty of angels and maybe they work in twos as Jesus sent off the disciples. Remember, two by two, maybe he gives everybody two. I don't know. In some cases, I believe when we're really harassed by demon angels, um, in answer to prayer, a person may have dozens of holy angels surrounding him. So I think there's, there's all kinds of angels. Um, don't know for sure, but let's suppose, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Let's suppose that there are at least 14 billion angels. That's two for each person, if there are 7 billion people on the earth. And, and that would be the good ones. That would be the good angels. And angels are ministering spirits of God. We need to consider that as well. They don't just work here on earth. You know, Before the world fell, God had angels. They were his ministering spirits through all of the eternal cosmos. So there are probably billions and billions, maybe even trillions, don't know, of angels. Now the Bible says 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's what John said. He was trying to, to come up with a number. And when you think about the temple of God, these angels were, you know, the, the old sanctuary there in the Old Testament. Um, these angels were engraved on the walls of the sanctuary. They were sewn into that. And then when they built the temple, they were engraved. And, of course, that symbolizes that the presence of God is surrounded with walls of ministering spirits. So it has to be at least billions, and I imagine a lot more. Now, when you think about that, before the earth was created, if there's that many angels, then there was a war in heaven. One-third of that number, whatever that number is, followed Lucifer, of course now Satan, the adversary, but they followed Lucifer from heaven to this world. And often, you know, in, in the Bible when it talks about what the devil did, 
You know, the devil is the enemy who sows the bad seed among the good seed, right? It's not really Satan himself, necessarily, but Satan is doing it through the actions of the angels that are on his side. Like when someone almost, let's say, has a car accident, but they're delivered and they say, well, Jesus saved me. You know, and each one of us has had that an experience where he said, you know, praise God, he saved me from this or that. Well, Jesus saved them through his ministering angels. So a lot of times we give the credit to the kind of the big characters, don't we? The, the generals, but he's operating through his soldiers. And these soldiers are the angels. Those angels who have fallen are also called demons or evil or wicked spirits, familiar spirits, uh, unclean spirit, unclean devil, etc. Um, and this study is primarily that we're going to talk about you know, both sides. This study is primarily about being possessed by, by these beings. You know, Some people think they've seen gremlins and goblins and ghosts and aliens and the boogeyman. So they probably manifest themselves a thousand different ways. That's what I'm saying. They can, they can bend light. They can change their appearance. But these are fallen angels that are out there to try to tempt and to discourage, to try to distract from the purposes of God. And I believe in them. And I'm in good company as Jesus believed in them too. Now, believing in them doesn't mean I endorse or approve of them. It means I believe they exist. Christ plainly says they exist. The Bible teaches they exist. And I see evidence of their work everywhere. And, you know, the great scholars of the Christian church over the ages have all almost unanimously uh, unanimously agreed that they exist. So if you're going to take on an enemy, it's a good idea to start with finding out if he even exists, right? And some people are having problems dealing with the devil because they don't even recognize his existence. Now, before I go any farther, I want to make a few things clear. I'm going to tell you straight up, friends, that if you are alive, um, you are at the least demon harassed. If you're a Christian, you, you're definitely demon harassed. And so you're in good company because Jesus was demon harassed. Now this happens in a lot of ways, but usually it means being tempted. And and I'll get to uh, I'll get to that subject in the future, in some future messages when we when we talk about sin and how to overcome it and such. It and it's not something that may happen once or twice in your life. Most every day we're doing battle with the devil in some way, and sometimes we don't even know it. I would say probably most of the time we don't even know it. Now, it's a wonderful thing when you experience those spells when it seems you have a break from being harassed. You know, like when Christ fought with the devil in the wilderness and it says Satan left him for a season. You remember that? All the devil did is he, he left to regroup and figure out what he was going to do next. And many of us live with these little spells of peace, you know, kind of between the battles. And uh, <clears throat> and once you recognize that and you accept it, it makes it easier to understand what's going on and how we are to deal with it. And because we're all harassed by the devil, all of us, we need to realize that we need help. 
Because we aren't fighting against other human beings, really. Because according to Ephesians 6.12, we know this, Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we are battling with forces that are much stronger than we are, so we need help, don't we? Now the psalmist in Psalms 8, in verse 4, he tells us uh, you know, a, a little bit about this as well. He says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him, that's man, right, a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. So, hum, human beings, this is what's talking about when it says man, has been made in some ways inferior to these angels, you know, in strength and in intellect, um, and in, you know, in other ways. So if you think that you're going to take on these fallen angels in your own power, well, <laughs> you're pretty arrogant for one thing. You know, it takes the Holy Spirit and God's power to defeat these powerful beings. I mean, just think about it for just a second here. The most perfect specimen of humanity that ever existed was Adam and his wife Eve. They, with their superior bodies and minds, were overcome by the devil. Now, they were deceived, but that they were overcome by it, right? So you're pretty arrogant if you think, you know, I don't need God's help to fight against the devils. And, and this has, let me tell you something, friends, this has everything to do with faith and the grace of God. You know, when we go on and we talk about this, sure, there are some tangible things you can do, but it's it's not like, you know, <laughs> some of these these false things you see in, in, maybe you've seen in movies or wherever, where, oh, you know, you, you get, you know, some salt and you... You make a circle on the ground, and as long as you stand in that circle, oh, it keeps you from the evil spirit. That's hogwash. That's from Satan himself. There aren't these things that, you know, a, a list of do's that you can do to keep you from. It's all faith in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something, friends. We owe everything to Jesus and his angels. I'll tell you that. And I think you'll see that as we go on. You know, so if you think that you can do some of those things or some way you don't need God's help to fight against the devil, you're, you're mistaken, you're deceived. We, we do need help. We are simply playthings and toys in the hands of the devil if you think you're going to take him on without divine assistance. You're done for. Okay? Don't go that route. <laughs> That's the route of pure deception. All right. So, we've looked at the powers involved here, the players, I call them, and we found out where they came from. You got the two sides, right? Now I want to define a few things so that we're on the same page. I want to define some terms. In our culture today, there are many people that put their own definitions on the word and so confusion can be caused. So, let's get on the same page, all right? Let's let's look at some definitions here. First of all, what is meant by the word possession? What 
What is, excuse me? To have. To have. Take control of. <laughs> well, there's no reason to, to really guess. <laughs> Let's look at some sources. But yeah, you know, like I said, some you may think that, and someone else may think something a little different. And then when I come out and I talk about possession, they're going by your own definitions, and you may come up with one one idea oh, versus think the when other. I possess something that I have it under my control, and then it's mine. Well, exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary and this is the 1828 edition, defines the word possession like this. The first thing they say is, it's the having, holding, or detention of property in one's power or command. Actual seizing or occupancy, either rightful or wrongful. One man may have the possession of a thing, and another may have the right of possession or property of that thing. That's interesting, isn't it? The second thing they say is to take possession to enter on or to bring within one's power or occupancy. Now, I think one of the best definitions of possession that I found, and, and actually about the powers involved, um, it's given in Hastings' Dictionary of the Bible. Now, it's rather long, but it really nails what we're studying, kind of a summary of sorts, and I want to share it before we go on. Uh, and so please, you know, bear with me here. Hastings defines the word possession like this. This is the first thing they say. The central idea in the word is the coercive seizing of the spirit of a man by another spirit, viewed as superhuman, with the result that the man's will is no longer free, but is controlled, often against his wish, by this indwelling person or power. In Scripture... The idea is associated with both phases of moral character. That's important to understand. In Scripture, the idea is associated with both phases of moral character. And a man may be possessed by Christ or the Holy Spirit, or by a or the devil. Later usage has confined the word mainly, though not exclusively, to possession by an evil spirit. Of the better possession, there are several kinds of instances in both Testaments, and I'll share them later on. Um, It is sometimes represented, according to the more material psychology of the early times, as the seizure of a man by an external power, though the internal occupation is implied, and the control is nonetheless complete. Like, you come across where... Uh, especially in the Old Testament, where it may say the hand of the Lord was upon him. Okay? And, and so, you know, that's an example. The inspiration of the prophets is in some places described as affected by a supernatural agency occupying the seat of personality within the prophet and controlling or moving him. And you'll find that a lot in the New Testament, actually. In personal religion, not only is the transference of authority within to the indwelling Christ spoken of, but the Holy Spirit also may seize and possess a man, and should rule in him. But this involves a welcome and glad submission to the sway of a spirit within, though personal wishes may be thwarted or crossed. Demoniacal possession, on the other hand, is characterized by the reluctance of the sufferer, who is often conscious of the hateful tyranny under which he is held and against which he 
uh, his will rebels in vain, and that's that's a uh, a key to understand. When you are demon possessed, I'll say this real quick, and we'll and you'll we'll learn this as we go along. When a person is possessed by a demon, it doesn't mean that their will is gone, that they don't have the power of choice. What's happened is the will has been defeated so much that it's so weak. It's just as it has become uh, completely controlled by that demon. Okay, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit more as we go along. Now, here's the second thing that Hastings uh, talks about. He talks about uh, features of demoniacal possession. He says, in such possession, two features may generally be traced. It is allied with and yet distinct from physical disease, and there is almost always something abnormal with respect to the psychical development or defect of the sufferer. It is given as the explanation in cases of dumbness, of deafness and dumbness, of dumbness and blindness, of curvature of the spine, even you find in Luke 13, and of epilepsy. Elsewhere, such complaints are referred to as merely disease, and no suggestion is made that they were caused or complicated by the action of an evil spirit. See, sometimes there's a difference. I'll get to that in a a moment, too. Sometimes possession and disease are even distinguished by different enumeration. And once, at least, epileptics, or lunatics, and palsied occupy a different category from demoniacs. The right conclusion seems to be that the same disease was in some cases ascribed to ordinary causes and in others to possession, which we do see in the Bible. The distinguishing feature being possibly uh, intractability due to the violence of permanence of the symptoms. Evidence that the disorder was at the same time of a psychical or nervous character is plentiful. According to Arab belief, something abnormal in the appearance, such as a strange look in the eyes or an unusual catching in the throat, was an invariable symptom, and both are indications of nervous excitement or alarm. The will was paralyzed, and the sufferer was under the influence of illusions. He identified himself with the demons and was averse to deliverance. In such cases... Jesus does not follow his usual course of exciting faith before he heals, but acts as though the sufferer were not in a fit state to believe or to trust and must be dealt with forcibly first of all. Some confident and majestic word is spoken, of which the authority is immediately recognized, and only then, when the proper balance of the mind has been restored, is an attempt made to communicate religious blessing. Now, there's a lot of stuff there, and, and, and that's kind of a summary, and we'll, we'll get into a bit better detail, and, and you'll hopefully understand it a little bit better um, by what uh, Hastings is saying here. But it, it's pretty dead on from what the Bible's saying. You know, sometimes Jesus, you know, it's always, don't misunderstand, it's always faith, uh, you have to have faith in God, but sometimes, like I said, a person, you'll find in these cases of possession in the Gospels, some of them, the person was so beaten down, like the demoniacs at Gergesa. 
these guys had a will and tried to get close to Jesus. They recognized it, but their will was so weak that the devil spoke instead of them, and Jesus dealt with the demons first, got rid of them, because that little spark of faith that was still in that person's will and in their heart. And then they received the religious blessing, as Hastings is saying here. But we'll get more into that when we talk about uh, uh, the examples of possession a bit later on. Smith's Bible Dictionary, which is, this is interesting as well, defines the word demoniacs in much the same way as we've seen Webster's and, and, uh, and Hastings here. Smith's Dictionary says, This word is frequently used in the New Testament and applied to persons suffering under the possession of a demon or evil spirit, such possession generally showing itself visibly in bodily disease or mental derangement. Now, let's go to the Bible as we define some things. Let's, let's look at Matthew 8.16 as an example, and let's get the root meanings of some of these words and phrases about possession that's going to help us as we go along in our study. Let's go to Matthew 8, verse 16. Get a drink here, and I'll try to run out of time here. But I'm going to try to get through this. What I have to share with you today, and not drag you on. I so appreciate that you, you all hang in with me sometimes here <coughs> when I go over our time. Let's go to Matthew eight and verse sixteen. Now it says there, when the even was come. They brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. Now the Greek word used for the phrase possessed with devils is the uh, Greek word daemonizonhe, And it means to be exercised by a demon, to have a demon, be vexed with or be possessed with a devil or devils. It doesn't infer being harassed by demons, which Christians are. Remember I said that before. We're all harassed by demons. You know, Christians are harassed by demons. It means to be physically taken over by. Remember our Webster's definition of possession? So it it means to be physically taken over by, and this is manifested in different degrees. But the bottom line is that you are no longer in control of yourself completely. You are in some degree, to some extent, minor to major, whatever it may be, controlled by demons. That's what the word means. Now those who deny the inspiration of Scripture and reject the idea of a literal devil and, and literal evil spirits, they attribute the phenomena of what the Bible calls demon possession to natural causes. You know, particularly to various physical and nervous disorders, you know, as Hastings was kind of referring to, such as, you know, epilepsy, insanity, uh, palsy, you know, deaf and dumbness, those kinds of things. Others go completely the other direction. Remember what I talked about earlier? The devil will push us into one ditch or the other. He'll swing us from one extreme on one side to one extreme on the other. And some people do that. 
they will accept as true the gospel statements concerning demon possession, but they don't always take into account the nature and relationship of the the accompanying physical and nervous disorders. It's either one or the other, you see. Now, in this study, I'm going to try and explain the problem as regards both satanic control of the lives of all the wicked in general and in the more restricted sense of demon possession with its uh, accompanying you know, bodily manifestations. Hopefully you'll begin to see another important reason, friends, for health reform before we're all done and why it is indeed the right arm of the third angel's message. Now let's look at Matthew 4 and verse 24 to see this difference between possession and sickness. Okay, because there is at times. Matthew 4 and verse 24. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Which, you know, I mean, think about this just for a moment. I thought about this last night. There are very devout Christians, full of the Holy Spirit, friends, who have illnesses. Isn't that true? So you cannot say that just because you're sick or ill, that that sickness or illness is a demon. Because if you're a born-again Christian, you don't have demons in you. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And light and darkness cannot maintain the same space. Okay? So doesn't does that make sense? <laughs> now, we look here at Matthew 4 and verse 24. And I want you to notice that there are different descriptions here for the different needs of the people that were brought to Jesus. Not all of these people were possessed of the devil. There were those that were diseased and tormented by ailments. Those who were lunatics. That means they were they were crazy. They had they had mental issues. Those who were palsied, meaning paralytic, those who were possessed, uh, and and those who were possessed with devils. Not everyone who is ill is possessed by a demon. The great thing is that Jesus has the power over it all, and He can cast out and heal. Amen. Now the commentator John Gill, in his exposition of the entire Bible, he says that people that were possessed of devils were people, quote, whose bodies Satan had been suffered to enter into and were acted and governed and thrown into strange disorders by him. Bible writer Alfred Barnes says that such people were, quote, under the influence of evil spirits who had complete possession of the faculties and that these spirits could produce Many symptoms of disease, not unlike melancholy, madness, and epilepsy. Which is why many people believe that when, when the Bible talks about possession, it only means different diseases. And this is not true. So the Bible is rather clear that there can be a distinction. Okay? And we see that distinction made in Matthew 4, verse 24. Why not make it clear and say... They, all these people were possessed by devils which manifested itself in these problems. But it doesn't say that. Let's go back to Matthew 8.16. Remember it said that Jesus cast out the spirits with his word? 
He cast them out. The Greek word for cast out is ekbalo, and it comes from two words, really, that mean to eject, literally or figuratively, to, to bring forth, to cast forth or cast out, to drive out, to expel, to leave, to pluck, you know, pull, take, thrust out, put, put out, uh, send out. That's what it means. Thayer defines it as to cast out, drive out, and this is interesting, to send out with a notion of violence. And I find it very interesting that that same Greek word, ekbalo, cast out, that same Greek word is used in Matthew fifteen seventeen when Jesus said, do, uh, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draft? And also interesting, the same Greek word is used in describing how the Holy Spirit moved to cast Christ out into the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. It's so remarkable, the the meanings of these Greek words compared to the English. <laughs> the English just comes up kind of lame compared to the Greek. Now, Matthew 8.16 again, it said that Jesus cast out the spirits with his word. That Greek word for uh, spirits is actually it's a familiar one. It's pneuma, and it means a current of air. That is breath or breeze. By analogy, uh, analogy or figuratively, a spirit that is human, the rational soul. By implication, vital principle, mental disposition. It can also mean superhuman, like an angel or a demon. Or it can mean divine, like God, Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Uh, means ghost, life, spirit. It can mean mind. In fact, this word is actually used quite a lot in Scripture. And that's why sometimes there tends to be some confusion you know, about it. So, to be possessed by a demon... Uh, demons, uh, devil or devils, means that these evil pneuma spirits have actually entered the body of someone to influence or take complete control of their faculties. It does not just mean the person is suffering from an illness or disease of some kind, and it does not mean that a person is outwardly harassed. They are possessed by them and thus controlled by them to some degree, if not completely. Let me share this with you. With you, um, I'm getting close to the end here. This is from the Great Controversy, page 514. The fact that men have been possessed with demons is clearly stated in the New Testament. The persons thus afflicted were not merely suffering with disease from natural causes. Christ had perfect understanding of that which he was dealing, and he recognized the direct presence and agency of evil spirits. That makes it pretty plain, doesn't it? So demons exist, and to cast out means to drive these evil spirits out of the person, usually with, uh, as Thayer says, a notion of violence, which we do see happen in the examples found in the gospel. They, these demons, they put up a fight. They don't leave, you know, voluntarily. They, they fight. They don't leave quietly. So they usually leave with some form of violence to that person. Let's go back to Matthew 8.16 again. 
It says, when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. We looked at that definition. And he cast out the spirits. We looked at those definitions with his word. And he healed all that were sick. The Greek word for sick is kakose. And it means physically or morally bad. Diseased, evil, grievously, miserably, sick, sore, etc. Thayer says it means to be miserably ill. And so again we see a distinction made between possessed with devils and sick. Now, don't be confused. Please, don't be confused. With possession, a disease can be manifested as well as a result of the possession, but not always. I mean, think about it, friends. The devil can, can cause an illness to someone and then supposedly heal the person of that illness. Isn't that true? And one thing I've learned is that poor health choices do play a role in inviting demons and can actually cause possession to occur. So what we do to our bodies and the things we eat that are against what God has told us would be the best way, we can actually invite demons. Because it weakens our body, it weakens our will. Anytime we disobey God, that's what happens. You know, Danny Vieira has a health reform ministry, and I, some of you are familiar with Danny. It's called Modern Manna. And I remember him giving some testimony about the demons that have manifested themselves when he was treating people. He spoke uh, about a demon that manifested itself one time when they wrapped a lady in blankets after a cold sheet treatment. He said that she glared at him with strange eyes and said in a deep voice that was not her own, Let me out of here. And what's interesting is when he actually went through the the process of casting that demon out when the person, the lady came to, she had no idea what had happened. I found that to be very interesting. He said that he's witnessed convulsions in, in another man and distortions in the countenance in a woman that was so bizarre that he thought he was hallucinating. Remember they change our form? So, possessed by means to be vexed by or exercised by and that always reminds me of uh, when I when you think of exercise you know using exercise equipment you know to work out and so this is what evil forces do to human beings is what they want to do they use human beings as tools and exercise them to do evil deeds and it is interesting that according to Matthew 8:16 which we've looked at the people could forcibly bring such possessed people to Jesus. So even though someone is possessed, they can be led to Christ. And what does Christ do? He casts the demon out. And same can be said of those who are sick. What did Jesus do? He healed them. Something else to note is that Jesus cast out or expelled the demons by his word only. And I don't know if you catch, you know, you, you have caught this. He never laid a hand upon a demon-possessed person as he did when he was healing disease or sickness. Now, he didn't do it every time somebody was sick. But often he would touch the person. Now, Jesus spoke with authority 
to those who were possessed, and those demons had to obey. And friends, Jesus is our example in all things, which includes casting out demons and healing the sick. And he gives us principles uh, to use. And we'll get to that before we end this, this series of study. But the next time we get together, and I appreciate you hanging in with me as I've run over, uh, the next time we get together, we're going to take a look at some examples, biblical examples and inspired examples uh, of, of possession. And so I hope that you'll, you'll join us next Sabbath as we continue this study. Let's bow our heads and let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so very thankful for your holy word that you've protected your word through the ages so that we can see your word and study your word here today. And that it prepares us for what's soon to come, this final battle. We are th- so thankful for your word that it uncovers this enemy we have. And it gives us the principles we need to to use by faith in order to be overcomers, not only of our tendencies and sin, but the devil and his power. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the heavenly angels you send to help each and every one of us. We pray that they continue. We pray that you will bless them for the work that they do. And Father, we pray that you will forgive us our sins and help us uh, to to step out in faith and um, decide, make decisions, exercise our will to choose to do the right things and get rid of those things that actually do harm us and harm others. Please continue to be with us this Sabbath day and bless us as you've promised. Not because we're worthy. Of course we aren't. But Jesus is and we pray this in his name. Amen.